Welcome to What's Next Weekly. This is a weekly podcast where we recap uh, the West Wing Weekly. I think we're just going to repeat what they did. Is that is that the idea here? Kind of just cover the exact same ground? We basically, just repeat verbatim what they said on their podcast. That's the, that's the hope. It's that good. Uh, we're going to recap every episode, every week, and we're going to kind of insert ourselves into uh, their conversation. They have such great uh, chemistry and banter, and sometimes I just wanted to be a part of that uh, conversation. And then a little bit later, uh, we're going to pull something out of that uh, podcast and discuss it a little bit further. We're going to call that segment The Big Block of Cheese. That's exciting. You know who, when I think of banter, I think of, Jose? Who's that? You. You know, when I uh, listen to Josh and Rishi, and I think of my friends who banter, like, you're the first that comes to the top of the list. So I feel like we're going to be in good company um, inserting ourselves into that conversation. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll see about that. <laughs> uh, well, let's just jump right, right into it. Episode one, season one, uh, it's titled The Pilot, coincidentally. Uh, the West Wing, uh, their first episode from season one, also called Pilot, uh, premiered in uh, March tw- 2016. The first thing they do when they kind of open up is just go over the qualifications for their podcasts. Uh, Rishi says he's just he's basically memorized every almost every single piece of dialogue in the first four seasons. Um, so <laughs> I said I had bones to pick with Rishi. Yeah. And, you know, I, I went back and he kind of draws this line right out the gates that he only really knows the first four seasons. So I was a little bit, um, a little bit uncertain whether Rishi was a real West Wing fan, you know, at this point in the podcast. That's it. You say that, but I, but I, but I believe you have basically only seen the first four seasons for a while. Didn't you drop off after Sorkin left? No, no, no. I, I've only listened to the first four seasons of um, West Wing Weekly. Oh, um, no, I'm a I'm, I'm a religious watcher of the West Wing, and uh, I'm watching it again. Yeah, and that's one thing I actually wanted to do as well. I wanted to uh, rewatch it, uh, but it's unfortunately taken off of uh, Netflix. I know it's hard to find. Yeah. It's on HBO, which I so I, I splurged for HBO um, for this, you know podcast and actually i also have the dvds so if you need to borrow my dvds uh do you have a dvd player uh yes i have a dvd uh player and um i also have a, a pager still no that's not true but we'll talk about that <laughs> here in a bit uh melina's uh qualifications is he was in it uh i believe his uh, bio on twitter is uh, i'm the guy that ruined the west wing when he uh uh, came on he's seen every single episode so in some ways maybe a bigger fan of the West Wing than Rishi. Didn't you say um, you thought Molina was a bigger fan of the show than Rishi? Ah, yes. Well, in some ways. I mean, the way that he was more uh, more of a completist. So, uh, But that's something to look forward to is when we get past uh, season four, you know, hearing uh, Rishi's kind of firsthand take uh, of, of the episodes, which is kind of what Josh has been going through. Uh, he doesn't quite remember every little thing. So it's like he's experiencing it again for the uh, the first time. So they start going through, uh, Rishi and Josh, uh, they start going through the different plot lines. There are six stories, they say, storylines. Story uh, part of Sam's plot uh, is with Lori the Expert. Uh, sorry. The Expert, yes. Yes, well, presumably an expert. Uh, she, uh, Lori is an escort, uh, and apparently the hardest plot is centered around uh, pagers and how they both look the same. Uh, Josh and Rishi, neither of them had a cell phone in 1999. Uh, did you have a cell phone at that point? <sighs> 
I might have got my first cell phone right around that time. I remember um, being kind of jealous of this guy, Mike Ball, uh-huh. who um, I, I thought he had like a cell phone. And I was like, you know, maybe I should get a cell phone. And it did feel pretty cool. Yeah, no, he, he, was, uh, he was one of the cool kids for sure. Uh, but that's about the time that I got a cell phone as well. It was one of the last in my friend group. And I was actually kind of resisting it. Um, although I did, as I said, I did have a uh, pager at some point, although um, didn't didn't buzz as, as often as I, I hoped it would. What was the percentage of girls to boys who paged you? <laughs> uh, like I said, man, hardly anybody paged me. Um, oh, geez. All right. Yeah, yeah. This is a, this is what the basketball in the rain motif in your life. Oh, basketball alone in the rain, for sure. At this point, when they start discussing uh, cell phones, uh, they point out that Rishi was still in school. Josh was a little bit older than him. Uh, we realized that there, there's actually an age gap uh, between them, um, I, which you, you don't really think about. And actually, I was thinking that we were probably closer in age to Josh as opposed to Rishi. Rishi seems young and cool. Josh seems, you know, old no. and busted. Josh is for sure, you can feel his being a little over the hill, and I feel um, split in the middle. What um, I, I'm very attached nowadays to being Gen X. What, where are you mm. in the great generational spectrum? No, I, I am also Gen X, a little little later uh, in that generation. I was born in 76, so yes. of course the waning years. All right, so 78 myself. And I, you know, we've got this nice balance where I I feel like I understand both Rishi and Josh. And um, I, you know, appreciate different things about them. And it is funny sometimes when Josh, you know, is clearly uh, speaking from a different age. Um, but it's also sometimes very telling because his voice is a little bit different. His perception of things in the West Wing um, is different. It's interesting here him talking about being on Scandal. Um, do you know that show at all? Uh, a little bit. We started watching it, uh, my wife and I, and um, it got more and more um, crazy. Yeah. And I think that's one, I, like, I liked more of the, you know, the political intrigue and the, you know, that sort of drama. And then suddenly, you know, the dead bodies would show up. Right. Or... Well, and that's, you know, it was funny for me watching um, Josh Molina in Scandal after West Wing because it's almost hammy compared to the West Wing. And so I always, it, it, he always seemed a little bit like he was acting out or something uh, in, in <laughs> Scandal. Um, I, I do, I like him in West Wing a lot better, but I guess um, being the Attorney General of the United States is a good role, you know, after the West Wing. Uh, yeah, no, totally uh, appropriate. I don't think it's, I don't think Scandal is almost hammy. I think it is hammy. It's very uh, melodramatic. Uh, they do talk about uh, Sorkin's misdirection as it relates to the president. Uh, you know, they make uh, the president sound like a, kind of this doofus. Yeah. Uh, he's also more popular. Hmm. Um, is, this a, is this a Sorkin thing as far as you well, know? Well, you know, I think, it's a, I think it's a really classic storytelling technique. I'm fairly sure Sorkin somewhere said all you really need to know to write great um, stories is Aristotle's poetics. And if you go dust off Aristotle's Poetics from your library, uh. you'll find that it's like 100 pages. It's really short. And so, um, you know, I think it's a Sorkin uses a lot of really classic, you know, truly classic techniques. And so I think uh, Rishi is catching that. And so, yes, I, I think that's um, typical. The other thing that um, I think Sorkin likes to do, and I wonder if he can still do it, is um, 
there was a time when I was, mm. you know, when stories for me, a good storyteller surprised me at some point. And, and Sorkin does that a lot, right? So, and this is one level of that. You, you, you make it sound like he's a klutz, Mrs. Landingham, and then he shows up and yeah. you can tell that like this guy's way more than a klutz. Um, and so that, you know, just that twist, right. That thing where, you know, that, and you get kind of a, an uplift or, or a swell when you're like, Oh wow, that's really neat. And, um, and Sorkin used to <laughs> be able to do that for me a lot. I feel like we've gotten, you know, in, in a, like you said, in a scandal world with lots of bodies and in a house of cards world with, you know, lots of, uh, scandal mm-hmm. it's, um, Interesting to know if uh, Aaron Sorkin could still kind of make you feel that way. But that's what I remember um, about, you know, the Martin Sheen kind of watching, walking in um, moment. And no, so I, I think Sorkin's thinking about that a lot, like about your experience as the viewer. And, you know, he's he's setting you up for ups and downs um, all the time. No, definitely. I mean, the, the contrast between the way he's perceived at the beginning where you don't see him and then his first entrance uh, into the room uh, is pretty. It's fantastic, it's pretty right? Effective. No, exactly. He's he's kind of the biggest guy in the room, even though you've got a room full of uh, big personalities. And um, yeah, so that part was nifty. Um, we do get uh, a little Sorkin named trivia when they bring up uh, Josh Lyman right. um, uh, on the West Wing Weekly. Uh, Josh Lyman might have been named after Josh Molina. That's at least that's Josh's contention. I think everybody seems to agree. Uh, Toby uh, is Molina's sister's name, uh, and then jo- Josh uh, Molina kind of twists Lyman and like anagrams it so that it's maybe the related Lyman and Molina. It's yeah. It seems a little bit self um, focused. Uh, Mr. Molina with his interest in how often his name uh, and related names kind of come up, you know, people can project things. And uh, nevertheless, I think he's, he's probably correct that, you know, cause he says they're dear old friends. I'd like to hear more about their dear old friendship. I'd like to see what Molina and Sorkin were doing 30 <laughs> years ago. Uh, if, uh, you know, the the present uh, and this time was uh, any indication. Uh, Josh was probably uh, begging him, begging uh, Sorkin for a job. Uh, Rishi also goes a little bit deeper, suggests that Ziegler was inspired by Ziegler in the uh, the Nixon administration. That seems to make sense. Uh, this is not unusual for Sorkin to kind of he's not he's not subtle about his uh, name choices sometimes. Well, and they make that point about the POTUS usage. Um, I think he used to seem subtler than now he seems, but, um, yeah, that's probably true. Um, Sirkin to me seems like he definitely likes to just kind of rifle through a stack of books and pull out a name, but I think he does like to do that historical, uh, thing. Um, like Sirkin's like frequently incorrect about these details that he drops into his story. I like all. If it's your if it's your area of um, expertise, he's almost always uh, incorrect, and so I know he doesn't like dig so deep that he gets it right. But I do think he likes to have a name like from the Nixon administration. That seems to me just like the kind of writer he is. Absolutely, or or people that he knows. Right, right. Uh, Rishi points out uh, that lack uh, the lack of theme music uh, on this uh, this episode, which I totally had forgotten until like re listened to. Uh, this uh, this episode again, uh, Rishi is the the host of Song Explorer. Um, as you probably know, he's a musician in his own right, so um, he's pretty aware of how the music uh, works or is uh, affected in this in this show. Have you um Have you ever listened to any of Rishi's music, Jose? Uh, I have, uh, or at least the the one the one AM radio. I have listened to some of that, uh, and it's it's good. It's like it's really kind of. 
it's just well-crafted, uh, well-crafted songs. Uh, and he's actually released something recently uh, under his own name, which I haven't listened to yet, but um, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, they discuss uh, what is the A plot versus the B plot versus the C plot. Uh, there's actually like six storylines, right? Uh, there's, um, uh, there's Sam and his expert escort. Uh, there's Josh and the Christian right. Um, I think Josh uh, and Rishi uh, disagree a little bit about what's the A plot. I think the main plot is Josh uh, and the Christian right. I think Rishi's right in that, in that uh, sense. Yeah, I think, um, I think Melina suggests that it's the president hitting the tree and the fallout from that. But because uh, it's introduced kind of it sort of frames the whole episode. But I, I think the meat of the story is definitely in um, Josh and his uh, his mistake uh, that, that he made with um, Mary Marsh. There's also the um, the Cuban refugees. Um, and then actually at this point in the podcast, that's when they actually bring up uh, Mandy. They finally get to talking to, about her. Um, I feel like bet- between this and the next um, episode, yeah, they just don't really talk uh, too much about Mandy. And I think um, just right off the bat, Rishi just kind of jumps on that, you know, don't really like Mandy uh, bandwagon. I know. It's uh, kind of true. Nobody who watched The West Wing really liked Mandy. Um, I'm surprised nobody uh, created a place in their hearts for her here. But, yeah, she kind of um, was a dud as a character. It's interesting because she sort of fits. Um, she's supposed to be like this um, equivalent to Josh Lyman. Right. Um, and, you know, there's a point that's that comes up later about whether there's a sexist dynamic here. But one of the things, you know, that's trying to be portrayed here is this like really high powered woman um, who comes to town and gets everybody um, excited. So, you know, there is something off putting about her character. Uh, I actually kind of enjoy her now. She's like I was that. I <laughs> Yeah. You, no, I was going to say, uh, the, the, this must appeal to your curmudgeon uh, side. Ah, I see. You know, for me, I was thinking she's like that member of the family who kind of irritates everybody, but they're part of the family. You know, she was there at the beginning, so she gets a certain kind of um, alumnus status. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I like her aggression, um, so <laughs> that, that part kind of appeals to me. But no, Rishi... Rishi's kind of down on her uh, right out the gates, and so that really made me wonder about his feminist credentials. Uh, it's sure, yes, which he, he definitely um, uh, flashes a, a couple times over the course of this uh, podcast. Uh, and I think nobody has anything against uh, Moira Kelly. I, 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 you know, I, I was a fan of Moira Kelly. I haven't seen her anything lately, but um, uh, no, but I was excited. You know, I'm happy to, to see her. And I think just that uh, general goodwill that I have towards her already, I I didn't mind her at all. Yeah, I mean, she was a little, um, not just abrasive, but like yeah. maybe abrasive to, um, well, like she gets into that argument with the, with the, uh, the cop and it's, it's kind of punching down for her. Oh, true. That's a good point. Plus, she does this cutesy thing, which... You know, you have to really um, own that cutesiness if you're going to do it. And, you know, it might work to a certain extent, uh, but I think some people that puts their teeth on edge a little bit. Like she's a little bit she's a little bit entitled and privileged and and so on. But that's the world, you know, that uh, Aaron Sorkin's um, interested in. You know, he's always in these rarefied spaces where he he likes to look at people who are very unusual uh, relative to their contemporaries. You know who else is cute? Rob Lowe. Uh, and this is the first mention that they, they make of Rob Lowe's otherworldly handsomeness. Uh, Josh Mamone's the fact that uh, Rob Lowe 
uh, can play an ugly person. You know, they can put some makeup on. He can, you know, play an ugly person in a, in a movie or a show. But no amount of effort can uh, could get Josh to to play an attractive right. uh, person. <laughs> I uh, don't know if that's fair or not. Although it doesn't seem like. Josh Molina has been given the opportunity to really have the makeup and everything done to him to make him look as hot as he can look. Um, I don't know about, you know, whether he could ever uh, fill in for Rob Lowe, as he said was his original goal. But um, I, I appreciate his, you know, uh, putting it out there and then kind of coming back, you know, in a, in a smaller role as Will Bailey. You know, that kind of takes a big man to say, hey, I still want to be a part of this, even though I didn't get well, to Well, again, be he was looking for uh, a star new job. Of the show. So, yeah, when uh, it, he do mention when West Wing uh, did come out, he was already on another Sorkin uh, show, the Sports Night. And I think he... He was trying to pitch to be uh, Sam Seaborn. If he could play both parts at the same uh, time, which I don't think they, uh, well, and then they brought in Rob Lowe. And then, of course, like, well, I mean, you know, if we're going to have a leading man type, of course, Rob Lowe's going to be it. But actually, I think I, I think Josh could play like a leading man and I could be play. I think he can play somebody uh, attractive. Um, there is a have you uh, have you seen Fleabag? Sure. With uh, Phoebe, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Right, the, the James, as opposed to Phoebe Bridgers. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, I keep mixing them up. Yeah, Flea, Fleabag was very funny. I actually had to start that one twice because the very first one's pretty gritty. Like, it's her in a sex scene. And I was just kind of like, eh, I don't know if this is... I need to watch a lot of that. But then I tried it again, and she's extremely funny. And so, uh, how do you think she's like Josh Molina? Phoebe Waller Bridge. No, 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 sorry, not the not Phoebe, but the uh, in the second season, the hot priest. Right. Which I'm sorry, uh, not actually billed as the hot priest. He's just called the priest. What's he? Uh, oh, really? Yeah, uh, same guy. I'm sorry, I can't remember his name, but he played um, uh, Moriarty in uh, Sherlock with the yeah. Cumberbatch. Uh, okay, uh, fabulous in that, great in Fleabag, but he's not. I mean, he's not what you would call. A, a, uh, attractive or like he's not like Rob Lowe he's not like a leading man uh, type but because of his uh, personality and the way that he's written um, and his just charisma you know there, uh, there was a bit of a debate whether or not he was, he was hot or not uh, but I think Josh could actually you know get into that kind of um, debate uh, or, or to be debated about whether or not he actually is an, um, a hot attorney general of the United States you know, I'm starting to question if I want to do this podcast with you anymore after that whole section about, like, how hot Josh Molina might be able to be under the right circumstances. I don't know. I'm just thinking about it. Just I'm just putting you on notice. I'm thinking about that now. I don't no, I don't know. No, if, no, it's not so much for him. It's for me. It's like I, I think if, if if Josh Molina can can be hot, then perhaps I can also uh, be hot as well. That's <laughs> that's all. That's why. Uh, they comment on Sorkin's penchant for uh, tech specs and resumes. Right. Um, and, um, and clearly he does. He loves, he loves, uh, lists. Um, I like a good list. Think about it. Somebody just sent me a, a YouTube link, um, that was the 20 best board games illustrated as a dynamic graph over the last 20 years. And I thought that was kind of a cool list. Like it shows like which games move up and down. It was a lot of weird games though. Kids are playing weird games. 
Ah, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't thinking like top ten list necessarily. I was thinking like in uh, in prose or fiction or poetry. Oh, sure. Oh, so like a patter song or something like that. Yeah. Right. Uh, no, lists are a, a great technique. I read a writer recently who said, you know, just drop a list in the middle of your thing. People will like it. And uh, it, it's sort of true. If you like flip through uh, a novel and there's like suddenly a list. You'll like want to know what's on that list and what yeah. it's about. So no, it's a it's a nice technique. I, I I agree with the the list and Sorkin deploys it well and he has that rhythm to his uh, writing. I heard right. somebody say that um, all good art uh, aspires to be musical and uh, Sorkin gets pretty close, you know. So his lists have a real rat a tat tat to them that are really like when you know when Toby is dressing down the lady with the specks of the plane. Mm. It's you know the music of the words as well as the information. The information is just kind of his chosen implement for for batting her around with, and uh, it's a lot and of fun. Part of that uh, when when people do that, it feels like. It feels like, oh, these people really know uh, what they're doing, uh, which is one of the things I love Boy. about the show, right? It's that uh, really yeah. competent people doing really good work. Um, but also, it also helps to uh, uh, bring about some exposition and in a way that's kind of, that's fun, that doesn't feel like um, an episode of SWAT, you know? Uh, have you ever watched, the, you know what I'm talking about? Eh. Gosh. I don't know. I don't know if I've seen Swap. Yeah, well, it's um, it's it's <laughs> it's a show. Um, yes, it's a show. But basically, to move the plot along, sometimes some, somebody has to say like, "But you know, but you and I have been brothers all our lives," and then now you know that they're brothers. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, that's you know, at least be efficient about it. That's pretty quick. That gets me up to speed really fast on like why it's not okay that we're about to kill each other. Sure. Right. Uh, but again, like. Uh, when it happens, it's a little ham-handed. But when Sorkin does it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is, uh, like you say, it's a melody. It's music. It feels uh, it feels good. Agreed. And Sorkin's a little bit self-indulgent, but he's so good at it. You mm. kind of – he's one of those people where, to some extent, some of the pleasure is in hearing his writing. And, and he lets himself, you know, get out on a limb just a little bit with that kind of thing. But and it's I, great. I, I mean, obviously, he's about, made a phenomenal um, career how can out I be of, of service creating that you because language that people want to hear. Right. Uh, one of the things that the Josh and Rishi point out is how good the pilot is, as they're introducing all these characters, and you definitely get a sense of them. CJ gets um, uh, introduced uh, in the show, The West Wing, and it gives the Josh and Rishi a chance to lavish praise and love on Alice and Janney, um, which will happen almost every time they, they mention her name. Yeah, Alice and Janney's um, maybe a little bit overrated by but it's I mean this in a positive way. Yeah. Uh, the 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 it's clear that the people who work with her just love her to death. Sure, sure. And I think I think sometimes they indulge CJ a little bit more than you would if you didn't love Alice and Janney so much. Like there's a whole episode down the road about CJ going to her high school reunion. And dealing with her father's mm. dementia. And right. you're just like, wow, that's a whole different show. Um, things like that where you're kind of like, I don't know that that fit in the West Wing. But anyway, clearly, you know, they say that she's the most professional in the world. And she, you know, uh, she knows all her lines and that kind of thing. And she's been, I don't know, maybe maybe the most successful 
post West Wing. I mean, certainly up there. Rob Lowe's done a lot of great stuff. Sure. Uh, I mean, Aaron Sorkin's done a lot of great stuff, and and others have had really good careers as well. But Allison Janney's, I mean, she's won awards as recently as like last year, I think, right? Yeah, no, I, uh, for her sitcom. Mom? Mom? Is it Mom? Mom. Uh, I, I think she's great. You know what? I, I, I love it when she's funny is the thing. Like, uh, she has such great comedy chops, uh, even though this is a, a dramatic show. Um, so if she gets to do a prattle, like the phys- her physical comedy is uh, she's an expert at. I mean, well, and that's actually her, um, her first uh, introduction is uh, that prattle on treadmill. Gosh, that's really funny because uh, you're totally right when you said pratfall i thought of you know down the road she falls into the pool and things like that yeah. um and it is she's very funny and when she's funny i almost always uh yeah enjoy it a lot sometimes they they take her for a dramatic turn they use her a lot as like the moral compass of the show so she also often has to be the um you know the hall monitor for the whole group you know the group wants to go do something and cj has to stop them and i think right i think that's one of the places that uh rishi suggests he sees a little bit of uh you know um anti-feminism in the program because like later all the guys go off and do a thing you know to to try to shore up the Lori situation right but cj doesn't get told um anyway and so i can she she sometimes has to be the the wet blanket a little bit and so um she's when she's being fun like when she does the jackal or something like that right you know everybody can't stop watching everyone it. can't stop watching it uh they point out the mistaken identity subplot about leo's daughter and how it seems unlikely because of leo's age i wonder if that was written before they had cast uh him um, and then they also named the actress who plays Sam's assistant, which um, I appreciate often to give credit to the uh, the actors, whether if they're talking about an, um, an actor that comes on like, oh, what, this person just came in for like a, you know, a bit part, but they were so amazing or wasn't the costuming or whatever, the set design great. They always like name off the, the person responsible uh, for that kind of in that. You know, sorkin way of like, well, here's the here's the resume and here's what else they've done. Good point. Um, I think it's also a tactic for keeping your social capital good. Like you go on your podcast and you just say nice things about everybody. It's very smart. Um, Cause <laughs> I've noticed a lot of people do that. I'm actually thinking, is there, it'd be, is there a podcast where people come on and trash everybody they, they work with uh, people try not to do that. Right. Cause not by name. It's hard to no. Yeah. Um, and so that that would actually be the braver thing. But no, I agree. It's really it's great, and you you see that right. You, even with a relatively small project, if you have a number of people involved, um, lots of people make important contributions, and I bet they have a really fantastic relationship with all these people, at least if they're decent folks. Well, and they don't have to go out of their way to give credit to these folks, right? I mean, they could just, they could just say like, oh, and then this guy comes in and he pours the water and uh, then he leaves. They don't even have to mention him. Uh, they talk a bit about Mary Marsh, uh, the confrontation scene, uh, and that reveal of Martin Sheen as the president who quotes the first uh, commandment. Uh, Rishi takes a little bit of issue with the, with the kind of uh, deus ex machina quality of the ending, the appearance of the president, um, but then also like being able to pull out that doll with the knife through its throat, uh, sent to its daughter, and that kind of like solves that problem with the uh, the Christian right. I think he wanted them to to really hash it out uh, in that in in the way that you know two sides of a different uh, issue get to hash it out in future episodes. You know, Josh Lyman clearly thinks that Mary Marsh is really uh, a hypocrite who's in this for the money and not a representative or arbiter of moral 
truth or positions or anything. Uh, Mary Marsh clearly thinks he's a godless atheist mm. who's here to destroy, you know, the Christian heritage of the nation. Um, I don't think people like to say those things or hear those things to each other's faces. Uh, but that, that would be interesting if like they really dove into the actual problem. But, you know, for tying up uh, the pilot, I, I thought the, the knife through the doll's throat was uh, sufficient. You know, there's a lot of fireworks. That's one of the things I've, I've now seen West Wing so many times there's a lot going on and the first time you go through it especially back in 99 or whatever there's kind of a shock and awe quality to it because it really was different than anything else um they mentioned that in the podcast that this technique of keeping some of the information out of the viewers uh knowledge so that they're sort of guessing what's happening um that was a new technique at that time and so uh it never occurred to me that there was a Deus Ex Machina quality, but I see why Rishi says that, but I think it works. It works pretty well because it lets Bartlett come in and it lets him talk about religion. He's got this funny view about, you know, um, or his granddaughter having thinking it's a very remarkable tomato um, instead of, you know, thinking it's a very remarkable girl. And so it, 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 it this, it's actually typical Sorkin. Um, he's another good example of the kind of guy who breaks the rules because yeah. sometimes he just does things and you're like, I don't know if that's, the, the textbook move, but what you okay did there was so entertaining. We're okay with it. So that's how I and you know he does felt about um, felt about that scene. Sometimes when I saw this, or it makes me think about how um, Christians or religion is portrayed in um, in shows. And I actually enjoyed Studio Sixty on the Sunset Strip. Like I actually enjoyed that, and because the, I mean, and one of the lead characters was um, uh, was definitely a Christian, and between her and Matt Perry's character. Uh, they would have these uh, discussions and even to try to hash out this. I think that's the ideal way to have those discussions is in a romantic relationship, um, you know, between right? uh, uh, yeah, a believer and a non-believer. I think that's probably the only way you're going to have the emotional context to really take in what's going on for the other person when you're telling them uh, one thing or the other. Because, uh, yeah, I remember that part of the show. That show didn't last very long, did it? No, I think I think just the single season, and you weren't you weren't on board with that uh, pretty quickly, right? It it didn't work for me out the gates. I would watch it again, but it felt like um, it felt like an imitation of The West Wing, and like somebody had said, "Here, why don't you do another show?" And he kind of just uh, cranked that one out because subsequently. Uh, like his, the current movie being the Ricardos um, is about showbiz and it's great. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's I, I enjoy that a lot, but studio 60 felt like he was still writing for the West wing, but he had just moved over to a different story. And uh, it, it was a little bit um, off putting and, and Matt Perry didn't seem right in it and, uh, and so on. But in any event, you know, everybody, Hey, Aaron Sorkin has had a re- really small number of projects go sideways. And so, Studio 60, it kind of just makes you feel slightly better about yourself as a writer uh, ah. that, that you know, uh, one out of ten times Aaron Sorkin goes off into the ditch. Uh, I think part of the problem was it followed uh, the West Wing. There is that. Another problem is the stakes were so much smaller uh, than, you know, the fate of the world and the American yeah. people. So Yeah, and so they, they would try to set it up with the same kind of energy, and it just never seemed to click. But I did... Uh, like that dynamic between Matt Perry's character and I forget her name, which is supposed, you know, supposedly based on Aaron Sorkin and who's the pixie who comes in, uh, later Annabelle Smith. Um, but, uh, Kristen Chenoweth, uh, I believe is the, 
basis for the character in Studio 50, the Christian girl. Ah, that's, uh, that's interesting. All right. We also get the uh, the first mention of, of Hamilton, the musical, uh, in this episode. It'll come up uh, a few more times where Rishi kind of just offhand, um, says offhandedly, you know, well, hash it out in the room where it happens, talking about um, the Christian right and uh, the president. Um, it is a musical, and generally Rishi does not like uh, musicals, but this one apparently he did enjoy um, – are you a Hamilton fan, or do you like musicals at all? Yes. I like musicals at all. I have not seen Hamilton. Everybody has told me I need to engage with Hamilton, but for some reason, it just, I don't know. Do you have anything like that? Like, those things that you definitely should have seen or heard and um, have not, and Hamilton's definitely... Hamilton and Moby Dick are, like, two things that I have not uh, read or seen, and I know I need to, and I know I'll enjoy it, but for some reason, I don't summon the energy. Yeah, is the resistance, like, because everybody's telling you, oh, read this, because sometimes I have that, where people's like, oh, you, you must, you must read yeah. this, or you must see this thing, and I'm like, ah, I'll, I'll get to it, and then eventually you'll see it, and you're like, oh, this is actually... Um, pretty good. Is that why? I mean, are you are you resisting because everybody's telling you to, I bet, to, to watch this? You know, I never thought of that, but I bet you're right. I bet it's just like yeah. a secret recalcitrance because I'm then the guy who gets into Mad Men in season four and is like super excited and like I like I just discovered it. Right. And so uh, I actually got on West Wing pretty early, um, but uh, I, I tend to get into things a few years late and then get all pumped up. So um, it probably is just me not wanting to listen to other people because I don't want to listen to anybody besides myself. Yeah. You know, I think enough time has passed. I think you can, if you can, uh, you can watch or listen to it. Um, all right. That sounds fun. I'll uh, look into that. Yes. My brother has been trying to give me the soundtrack for years and he keeps, I think he and keeps asking me, have I listened to it yet? So I'll, I'll, I'll get into Hamilton at some point and we'll, we'll see if it, uh, connects with the West Wing. Well, see, now I feel like I've just, like, made you not get into it even longer. It's possible. Um, the show wraps up the Cuban refugee plot uh, with Bartlett's uh, last line. It's, it starts off sounding like a quote from something, you know, like, um, you know, with the clothes on their back. They came through a storm. And it sounds like... Um, it sounds like it's from something. I don't think it's from anything. Yeah, I thought it was some quote from, I don't know, Plymouth Rock or something like that. Is it not a famous quote on the Statue of Liberty or something along those lines? I, you know, I don't think so. It sounds like more of an aside uh, in a play than, it, than something that you would see in a, you know, in a TV show. That's not Shakespeare or Keats or, you know, Kanye? Literally, <laughs> literally what I thought. I'm like, this must be... Uh, Shakespeare, uh, or, 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 or Jesus, you know, one of the two, uh, something <laughs> biblical. Uh, I will say that at the very end, they do share how they know each other. Apparently, um, Rishi and, mm. uh, Josh were both, uh, they both go to, went to Yale. Um, Rishi was looking to be a, um, uh, a, a score composer and asked, uh, Melina for, you know, some advice, just emailed him, uh, cold and, um, kind of going against his character, Josh actually uh, answered him. Yeah, that was my least favorite part of the podcast was, f you know, just finding out that they were both Yaley's. Um, I've got a pretty big chip on my shoulder about Yaley's and it doesn't have anything to do with having been rejected 
more than once by Yale. Um, it's uh, like if you start looking at the people who run the world, it's a ridiculously high percentage of people at Yale. Like the Yaleys, they're just everywhere. Um, you know, they're in entertainment. They're in politics. Uh, they're in music. You know, they're in podcasting. No, there's a there's a, you got you got to watch out for the Yaleys, but they they're always you know um, wordy. That's the nice thing. You'll never meet a Yaley with a bad vocabulary. All right, uh, we're going to move into our big block of cheese, where we're going to pull something from the uh, the episode to talk a little bit uh, about. Uh, but first, we're going to take a little break. We are back. It is time now for the the big block of cheese. Uh, Once um, President Jackson had a big block of cheese where he invited folks to come into uh, the White House to partake. Uh, Do you have a big block of cheese that you'd like to share with us, Kenny? Well, from the episode, I was very interested to see the Christian Wright versus Josh Lyman theme. It resonates for me uh, to this day. Um, it seems like it's, you know, a core conflict uh, in our country, the the way secular and religious people uh, deal with each other. It also reminds me um, why I, uh, you know, love the show. Um, it brings up issues like that. And this is where, you know, Melina says this thing about how the slam in the show is not on religion, it's on people using religion to make money, uh, corruptly or hypocritically or otherwise. And I, uh, I listened to that and I thought that's a really good distinction. And then I thought that's so old school. Like that's you can't you can't think like that anymore. You know, no, nobody's making distinctions that fine these days. And you can even hear it in Rishi's voice a little bit because Rishi says, "Huh, interesting." Like I think what Rishi's thinking is, I don't know if you can separate all the corrupt religious people from religion. You know, I I don't know that you can actually separate those two out in a clean way where you can um, like one and not the other. But I appreciate Molina's point. And it also is the kind of thing that like a guy in his 50s uh, would say. I don't think people um, under 50 are thinking or talking like that much anymore. Yeah, I I, I suppose not. And I mean, I guess what Josh Lyman um, says it, the accusation is they're not serving, they're not serving the real God or the God that they profess to to, to serve. They're serving the God that uh, is looking to, to to make money. Uh, which I don't know. Do, do you think? I don't know if I, I, I really believe that Rishi was believes that those are basically the same, uh, the same being. Um, I don't know. And then as far as today, I mean, I guess that's been that's been the perception for a while, right? For you know, for decades or definitely into from like the 80s with like um, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker and Jimmy Swagger and then just the, all the televangelists. It just seemed like a, I mean, like that's what's being portrayed on TV or that's what you see on TV. It oh, just, so that, yeah. That like a, a big but there were no, definitely those those scandals in the 80s. And no, I so I, I have always thought a great deal like Josh Molina talks about. So, for example, I'm not Catholic, but there's people there's a cynical kind of person that whenever you bring up the Catholic church, the first thing they like to talk about is priests misbehavior with people, um, especially boys, which is egregious. Of course, for me, it's always been clear that that's aberrational. And, uh, the one thing 
is um, not uh, organic, you know, to uh, the the true nature of Catholicism. Like, there's too many people um, in the world and in history who are just like normal religious people, you know, the folks running the soup kitchen. And I just don't believe that most of those folks have anything to do with the Catholic priest who's a bad guy. Um, and so it seems clear to me to, you know, you can separate those two things out. But um, I could see how to somebody else, if uh, institution was so characterized by people like that, you might start to think that, you know, it might be inherent in the institution and in the nature of religion to make people behave badly. Well, see, since you bring that up, I, it's the, I think part of it is that it is the institution that's kind of, that, well, seemingly turn, either turning a blind eye to these things or hiding them or not really dealing with, um, you know, with these, these aberrations, as you say, uh, effectively in a way that actually, you know, protects the, the innocent and, and, you know, punishes or whatever uh, those who are, who are guilty? So definitely, I mean, there's the there's the people on the ground, the, you know, the boots on the ground. Surely they, you know, they just want to help people, um, or they want to at least uphold the, you know, the tenets of their of their faith. But if the, but if the institution itself, if the hierarchy itself is, you know, not not really effectively dealing with that, it's kind of, it would be hard to separate that. Yeah, no, it's really true. Like when you see, especially if you experience you know, yourself in any way, uh, abuse of authority, it's hard to not color the whole glass with the same, you know, dye that you experience there. But I, I do think, uh, you know, there's a, there's a point where you want to go beyond that and be able to separate the, the good from the bad. Um, I think John Adams said uh, in the proper exercise of any institution, there's going to be abuses, right? Like there's no, there's, there's, you're never going to find an institution uh, that doesn't have serious flaws because I think they're made up of human beings. And so um, I'm not saying, you know, you go back to the Catholic church necessarily, but you, you hope you can move beyond um, kind of the trauma uh, position where, Hey, that one thing was so bad. Everything that looks like it uh, makes me feel uh, the same way. But um, it's, you know, everybody's experience is their own kind of textbook for how they interpret uh Life and so um, I've you know never had it's I've never had much experience uh, with the Catholic Church. When I have you know seen um, abuses of power, you get a lot angrier when it happens to you. And so um, I maybe maybe if it was my church, I would be madder about it. Yes, you would. Uh, okay, well, total. A total tonal uh, shift here. Would you, would you like to hear about my big block of cheese? Yeah, no, I bet it's uh, I bet it's a deep issue, you know, about matters of the heart and things that go on below the surface. Uh, yes, definitely. It's not uh, uh, totally self-serving and narcissistic um, at all. No, um, I wanted to talk about like um, everybody talks about how good looking Rob Lowe is whenever whenever he comes up uh, in the podcast. They talk about how ridiculously good looking he is. So my big block of cheese is um, how do you, how do you, uh, you know, I almost want to change this, actually. Um, how do you deal with, handle, or compose, or comport yourself uh, when in the presence of somebody who's ridiculously good-looking, uh, like, a, like a Rob Lowe uh, or uh, someone else? Well, today, uh, I'm going to suggest that you attack. Um, when I see Rob Lowe, 
one thing that stands out to me is his face looks fragile. And so it may be beautiful, sure. but it looks very, very fragile. And so it's just like a bat to it. Right. And so um, one of the things that I uh, identified with was in the movie Fight Club when uh, Ed Norton beats the snot out of this really handsome guy. And they ask him, why did he yep. do that? And he says, I wanted to destroy something beautiful. So I think that's one approach is hostility, you know, just focused hostility. And you'd be surprised how, you know, people like that don't usually get that. And so if you use that, you'll get a very unusual reaction. Uh, all right. I'm going to I'm going to write that down. I'll, I'll file that. What do you, what do you like? Have you had experiences like this? Frankly, I had a hard time thinking of if I'd ever been around anybody as good looking as Rob Lowe appears to be on my TV. Uh, sure. No, there, there is that. I, you know, I, and I'm sorry to my memory. I can't, uh, I can't think of anybody. Um, and maybe it's just been, uh, so long or maybe my standards have gotten, uh, even, uh, even higher. My, my general stance though, is not hostility. I'm such like an easygoing guy. And, um, I, you know, um, my, my general, my, you know, my general tack is to just not make eye contact or to avoid maybe giving them, um, undue attention, because they probably get a lot of attention already. And so I don't want to be, you know, uh, everybody else who's just giving them all this, you know, right. uh, attention. Well, and what's cool is you're giving them an even more special kind of attention because though it's not external, like you're giving all your internal attention into how you guide their behavior around. So it's actually really an even better tribute to their Ooh. good looks that like it, it, it's like this force field and you're going to navigate around it. Right. That is, that's great. Yeah, no, it's, it's all, it's all happening on the, uh, on the inside. Sometimes it actually uh, creeps out because then, uh, so the other, the other tack is to, you know, overcompensate. Uh, I am not as ridiculously good looking, uh, as they are. Uh, but I, I'm, you know, generally funny and, and, uh, charming and, um, but then, yeah, see, but then I just lean too hard into that. And actually I, you know, I'll try too hard to be funny and, um, witty and uh, it just or just um, try too hard to be uh, uh, eloquent and it um, totally backfires uh, or in that I'll either uh, end up insulting them um, accidentally right uh, right that's definitely the kind of thing you could do is insult them at, you know somebody's so good looking that you insult them trying to explain to them how good looking they are that's a, that's a kind of Jose thing Excellent. Yeah, and I'm sorry, not necessarily talking about how good looking they are, but just talking about Whatever. Uh, something else. And that's, I thought that's what you meant when he's like, my, my, when you said your suggestion was to attack, I thought like, oh, just like get in there and just, um, you know, point out a flaw or neg them or something like that. But sure. Well, no, you meant are, physical violence. No, uh, no, I didn't necessarily mean physical violence, but I, I, I did mean, you know, the, uh, you know, get, get aggressive, whatever, whatever tactic works for you, you know, really, really dig in. Uh, but that's not what I usually do. No, I, I prefer, you know, I, I'm, I'm big on order. And so I kind of fall in, you know, so if, if you're like, you know, you're a 10, you know, I, I, I just kind of stand in line where I'm supposed to. And the thing is, is that all the action's going to happen around the 10. And so, um, I try to be courteous. You know, you, you, you try to stay on good terms and, you know, you, you be friendly, you be nice. Uh, you know, when I was younger, I might get gushy, but I, I, I don't think I would do that today. But, you know, you, you, you want to be um, inside the bubble, you know, like as John Hamm described it. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I, I actually would like not to be no? in, the, uh, in the action. No, I would like to be as far away from the action 
uh, as possible. Like uh, the less action, the better. More focused action is what I uh, I prefer. Um, I don't want to. I'm not. I'm not great in large groups of people, and by large, I mean more than three. Interesting. Well, it's a. It sounds like you're. You know, a leader of men just kind of waiting to to, to blossom um, into your full leadership uh, capabilities um, with four, five, seven people. Yes, or or two. So if you if you're, you're listening to this and you have a suggestion on how to deal with somebody who's ridiculously good looking or uh, charismatic, or if you have a stance on uh, how Christians and religious folk are portrayed in uh, in the movies or shows, we'd love to to hear about it. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at uh, Weekly What's Next. Uh, so um, you you look like you need a drink after finally getting this podcast uh, recorded. Uh, okay. Anything you might refresh yourself with after the show? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I have plans. Two absolute martinis and a Doers on the Rocks. Okay. I'm just saying.